Welcome to Mobile First. Every week, we sit down with industry leaders to unlock how they're using mobile experiences to increase sales and performance for their businesses. Hey, we get it. It's tough to create the right digital experiences and tools to keep pace with customers and employees. But we believe that every digital product owner deserves a clear vision, plan of action, and the resources to create the right digital experiences and tools that increase sales and performance for your business. That's why we've dedicated this podcast to learning how the best in the business are doing it so that we can help guide you in the right direction and give you the confidence to reach your goals too. But I think that the signal to noise, like kind of distinguishing the two is something that starts at a young age. And I think wouldn't it be awesome if product development also had that mindset. This week on Emerge Mobile First, a conversation with Bob Bora, Head of Product Management for SAP Digital Interconnect. He has launched award-winning marketing products for SAP, and prior to SAP, he designed satellites and took on other challenges in aerospace. He brings a really interesting, multifaceted, multidisciplinary approach to this podcast. He has a very interesting background, really excited to dig into this episode and break down some of the really interesting SAP products that are making an impact around the world. Bye, Bob. Thank you for joining us. I'm super pumped to have you here. Thanks, Jordan. It's great to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So I really enjoyed our pre-show chat, and I think we have a lot of great content to dig into here. But before we jump into those main insights, I'd like to spend just a little time understanding your perspective, You know what inspires you. I really think this helps provide that context when digging in a little bit deeper throughout the episode. And what I really find fascinating about your history is you've jumped all over the place. You've been to a couple of different industries, but I, I think it provides a really cool multidisciplinary approach and allows you to excel in a lot of different areas. So I would love for you to talk about some of these disciplines that, you've, that you're bringing to this, as well as how that impacts you being effective as a product manager. Absolutely, Jordan. And you know, once again, it's, it's great to be here. And my world has, has constantly transformed. I really have a passion of taking things from laboratories to, to launch. Whether it's diamond-coated cutting tools, whether it's doing spinal cord injury research for new treatment, uh, creating and building robots to do surveillance to, to get people out of difficult situations when there's a lot of debris. Satellites, I did that for almost a decade and, and launching you know, satellites successfully and all, all that goes into that. Mining 3D technology and really for the last four or five years, I've been, I've been doing this mobile intelligent interconnect. And, and I think you know, bringing that lab eureka moment to, to something that's commercially viable and feasible has become a great passion of mine. And I believe that we, maybe we're kindred spirits because I, I heard in one of your podcasts, you said you really passionate about learning how things work. And I think that's really what's motivated me throughout the years. And I think you know, heading the product management team here for SAP Digital Interconnect LOB Solutions, I'm really a big fan of of deconstructing products like chefs do to food. So my favorite chefs don't put anything on the plate that's not edible. And this has been a constant thing for me of reducing like the clutter from the noise in search of signals. And I think perhaps we we, we may have some commonality there. I'm a new dad, my wife, Shanika, and my son, Ion. We've had a great time in actually figuring out how babies discover this signal to noise problem as well. Like when we show him a mirror, he always finds his way to his favorite toy, or we think he does. But I think that the signal to noise, like, kind of distinguishing the two is something that starts at a young age. And I think wouldn't it be awesome if product development also had that mindset that we never lost, you know, what we once had. 
So I think this unrelenting focus on the problem like babies do is something that I'm really passionate about. The second part of your question on, you know, what is it from a product management perspective that I see as, you know, really unique and, and what have I seen as a big shift? What I found is that, you know, good product managers oftentimes do not have the industry knowledge that many experts do. And this is somewhat controversial because the industry experts bring in a lot of great insight and, and they, they kind of know the space. But I think that when you have a team of, of folks that are uh, perhaps not experts, they're constantly checking themselves. They have a fear of being found out and, you know, building a product in a fast moving industry and just asking the right questions. And I think, for example, there's someone on our, on our team who's came from the chemical industry and now he's leading our developer ecosystem. So I think this really shows a, a big shift. And, and this isn't something that's, that's new in history. I think you've seen, you know, cases of like Feynman who, did work on quantum mechanics and that turned into nanotechnology. Einstein was a patent officer. You know, nomads don't have as many ties and failure is not as seen as deleterious because if you're an industry expert and you fail in your industry, then sometimes people just say, hey, you should have known better. But I think when a, someone, a, a layman or someone that's just joining who, who just has that hunger, failure is just seen as a rite of passage. And I think that's one thing that I think enterprises should, should really hold on to more. This is something I can absolutely relate to because going up through college, I was a medical major. Like I did five years of pre-med and then afterward jumped into technology and then coming from an emu ranch, like I have no history of technology, but it provides a whole different perspective on just how I look at organizations coming from this biology background and thinking of things as living organisms and interdependencies. And so just having that as a foundation helps me think about business differently. And that gives me an advantage. And I think that now with just with millennials, even we jump to companies and we, we don't spend as much time in previous jobs as people have in the past. And so I think that, yeah, how you've embraced this and how you're using this as an advantage, I think that a lot of people can relate to. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, I think it all started at, at perhaps for you, Jordan, I know you were telling me the stories about, you know, on the emu ranch how incredibly you know hardworking and you know how how flexible you were. I think that's kind of what happened to me also when I was growing up. I think those experiences, you know, really kind of leads me to try to reinvent myself every couple of years. I so I think I was telling you, Jordan, I grew up in Alabama. Mm-hmm. Towards the you know early '90s, I was 12 years old, and there was the launch of a new science center. And I was the first group of volunteers to say, "Hey, you know, this is something cool. I want to be part of this. It's a change." And there, I'd have to explain science to both eight-year-olds and six-year-old grandparents. So you know, something like Bernoulli's principle of like how balls kind of stay up in the air. And I'd have to think like, okay, well, that's how I know how airplanes work. And whether it's like centripetal force or centrifugal force, trying to explain, you know, that this is similar to, you know, aerospace or playgrounds and how lasers can be manipulated and showing mirrors and bouncing it off. So, you know, pretty soon I was hooked and I wanted to build the next generation of stuff and simplify complex things. I think that, you know, I've had many winding roads, as we talked about. I think that I get the tinkerer nature from my father and you know, he actually did a lot of projects to the pressure of the center of the earth to actually artificially generate it. And I wanted to do something similar. And I, I started getting into this lab work mode and I was able to create diamond in a, in a lab te- you know, setting just by having temperature and pressure. And so I would spend a lot of time, you know, doing spectrography work, looking at cycles of tests and figuring out what's working, what's not working. I think that's the thing. It's like, you, you got to learn how to fail before you learn to succeed. And I would carry this through whether I was working on spinal cord injury for mice, which was a project that everyone ran for the hills. And I had to actually paint the hind feet of each of these mice and have them walk across an encasement and figure out, well, is it its toe spread that matters or is it its stride length? Taking this kind of approach of, of 
picking projects that other people feel like may fail has helped me then transition to the satellite world and, and really focusing on all the things that can go wrong and really now on mobile where everything changes seemingly every couple months. Yeah. And with this, you know, you're now on a mission, right? To understand care and empathy and care and employee empathy in this mobile world. So can you maybe explain that story that helped inspire that in you in focusing on this mobile world? Yeah, absolutely. I think that oftentimes mobile is, is obviously seen as a great engagement platform and, you know, fancy UIs. And there's so many design trends like minimalism that come in and out. You've described it as an interface in the past. And I think that what happened roughly a decade or so ago is I was in India and I was working for a defense contractor at the time and I was visiting the Taj Mahal like any good tourist would do. And all of a sudden there was a bomb blast and a, a you know, sort of a, a terrorist activity. I guess there was a shooting and everybody was just freaking out. I remember like, you know, there was a big panic and lo and behold, in like 30 minutes, I got a, a text and a phone call from, from work saying like, hey, we see that this has happened and we want to make sure you're okay. And we want to potentially even evacuate you soon. And I thought that really meant the world to me for a company to actually care that much. And I think that, you know, in this day and age, especially in the Valley, I think oftentimes care is defined as financial benefits. But, you know, what if care could be using a mobile device to provide that duty that, that employers now have to employees to make sure that they're okay and that you know, whether it's a weather alert or a IT outage or even something as, as, ter as terrible as what I experienced, you know, why can't you get response in, in just, you know, minutes as opposed to, you know, companies, which, which currently actually happens. If you talk to, you know, I've talked to a lot of enterprises, oftentimes it takes them weeks to figure out if, if their employees are okay. So maybe the transition is for what I'm seeing in mobile is not just this like advertising and engagement, which is, which is very important in its own right, but also as something that's the future of work. Mobile can be the, the thing that helps employees be better taken care of. Absolutely. Well, I mean, the device now is getting to a level to where we can really start to harvest this contextual information, like you're pointing out, like you're in this location at this time and the events happening around you, they're being translated into other areas of the world. And that allows that company to have that thoughtful touch. And so now it's how can we elevate that to different use cases and different levels? And so I think SAP is primed to do that around the world for various industries and various use cases. And I've had a few guests from SAP already explain a little bit about what they're up to. But for those that maybe haven't listened to those episodes and just tuning in and, and maybe um, those that haven't heard of SAP, can you give us a quick description of who SAP is and what you guys are known for? Yeah, absolutely, Jordan. So SAP is one of the largest enterprise software companies. Much of the growth is through the cloud. So I'm part of a group within SAP called SAP Digital Interconnect, which helps enterprises run better, but through rich mobile consumer experiences. And I think you know, that's connecting the last mile between mobile apps, processes, and people. So for example, if you're generating that next, that next app or the next channel or the next service, the question is, how do you connect with people? And I think that one of the things that we do is we try to connect everyone, everything, everywhere. And everyone meaning that you know, we have actually a reach of 99.9% .9 of consumers worldwide through our intelligent services everything. So that means that we have these IoT applications and devices that can actually sit on the edge and have intelligence so that when you're roaming from like whether you're a freight car or, you're, or freight van and you're kind of going between countries that you don't lose connectivity, especially in, in these regions where Wi-Fi and, and cell coverage may go out everywhere. And that's where we connect over 200 countries. And I think that 
we always look at it as not a fixed pie. Every, you know, communication is growing. So I think we here at SAP are really a big part of, of helping enterprises and, and small businesses reach their consumers better. Man, I mean, the sheer scale of those numbers, right? 200 countries, you said 99.9% of connected devices worldwide. Did I get that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So we have that Man. scale. And I think it's, it's something that, you know, we really try to help businesses achieve that in, in, a, in a quick period of time. Wow. And so you mentioned, you know, you're in the, the digital interconnect uh, and helping connect that last mile. Can you maybe can we explore that a little bit? And can you expand on what your area of focus is within that division? Sure. I think that, you know, based on the scale and this ability, you know, we've really begun focusing on building the next line of business applications. And the, the key question that, that we always have is, you know, given that mobile can transform relationships every minute of every hour of every day, what we're really trying to solve is how do people want to be connected to? Like what context are they in? And, and how can we perhaps based on the time of day, who's trying to reach you, why they're trying to reach you based on regulations, just figure out like what the right channel at the right time is. Clearly, one of the biggest challenges that, that companies face is, is really having a good conversation with their customers through mobile. And I think conversation is an important word. It's really the operative word because you know communication is oftentimes a one-way street, but conversation is this rich two-way dialogue that can potentially change a brand or a business and its customer forever. And it's almost the equivalent of like listening versus hearing, right? Like mm -hmm. my child who's just like, I think is listening and like I'm listening to him and based on what he's doing, I'm responding. But hearing is, is oftentimes the equivalent of what most people think about communication of just blasting a message. And I think, you know, the answer is context. I think it's, it's, it's an alert. It's a marketing message. It's a heartbeat for device, but building that individual set of experiences for every customer at every turn. So would you say that maybe like, the differentiator is between listening and hearing is, is truly understanding. Is that? Yeah. Of, you didn't get the heart of it. Okay. You know, what is it that the customer or the employee or whoever you're trying to connect with, what are they going through and where, you know, what are their preferences? I mean, it's almost like peering into that world, but without making it extremely obvious of, of having to actually probe them for feedback. And I think it's, it's almost like, a, as I mentioned in that other, you know, story that like, you know, when there is something like an IT outage or a bomb blast or whatever, you know, I want to be communicated in a way that is very clear and concise. But if it's an engagement message, then I want to, you know, perhaps have, you know, location, behavior incorporated. So I think it's just figuring out what the consumer needs and why you're sending that communication to begin with. And I'm basically taking that and unraveling it. So what are a couple of the digital products that you're working on that are enabling these mobile experiences of being able to listen better? So one of the solutions that, that we've actually really focused on is SAP People Connect 365, which brings in for HR data, brings in risk content data, brings in you know, this validated information about what, you know, where people are and what risks are occurring and creating these enterprise workflows to help enterprises kind of reach their employees in the moment of need. So that just in that example that I gave 10 years ago, imagine as, as you and your company being able to reach out to your employees, if, if there was something going on in that region of knowing immediately and getting an alert and saying, aha, I need to do something quickly. But also having that enterprise grade experience of, of making sure that you're not sending a message to 10,000 people when you only wanted to send it to a couple. That's a, a big initiative that we're taking on as part of SAP People Connect 365. The other major initiative that I think is, is probably going to be very near and dear to a lot of the listeners' hearts is 
you know, sometimes it's hard to really understand the shifts that are occurring in, in people that are sending communication. I think, you know, more and more it's, it's these developers, right? That they're, they're like rock stars in, in their own right. I mean, I think that what we found is that there's like almost like a, somewhere between a 200 and 300% increase in business decision-making just by this group in the last few years. And so making something programmatic for developers to use in minutes and communicate across any mobile channel, like whether it's SMS, social, this is something that's, that's going to be huge. And I think that having this preference-based approach is great. But the other thing is when you talk about mobile, right, it extends into these rich customer experiences, but it could also be something at the data layer, right? These application programmable interfaces, these APIs. And what we found is that 90% of APIs fail in their enterprise initiatives, but the 10% that succeed get this huge exponential growth, right? So as a whole, APIs are in vogue, but it's not always the same level of success. And I think that's where perhaps I wanted to offer some suggestions on on what we've seen of, of why those 10% succeed and the 90% fail. Yes, please. Why is that? You know, we boiled it down to roughly three major things. I think for the first is APIs have to be simple to understand. I think clear, easy documentation to get started in minutes. So whether your mobile app needs to connect to ERP, HR recruiting, customers and, and mobile areas, a well-working API that's just you know crystal clear that this is how it works is actually super important. I think this is something that may sound obvious, but like showing up in a, in a formed way is actually half the battle. The second is I'm a developer, right? So, so please, no one out there that's a developer, take this you know, personally, but we're lazy, right? You know, <laughs> we love to copy and paste code in any language to do any. Having these searchable repositories and building a community so that me as a lazy person may ask my friend that's a lazy person, you know, do you have code that does X, Y, and Z? So having this mobile developers you know, beginning to connect with each other and have these, these code sample projects is, is huge. And I think what happens is people build these mobile experiences and applications, and then they think about how they communicate at the very end. And so it's almost like the analogy I would draw is, would I have built a satellite that can create all this cool imagery on polar ice caps and then design how to communicate you know, tens of thousands, if not millions of miles away at the end? Probably not, right? So I think you got to start thinking about it from the beginning and really giving the developers power. The third thing is, I think, technology independence. Like, man, oh, man, like, I think technology has actually rendered enterprises and businesses in a very, very tough, almost paralyzing way, right? Like, there's so many options of connecting and there's so many formats and things going around. I think that you have to start working on these RESTful APIs that are better defined, showing how they work in business scenarios, having an open ecosystem and a community. And I think when you take these three things, being simple to understand, feeding in on developers are lazy, having a technology independence. I think what you get is something that we call programmable digital interfaces that are taking over the world. And I think this is a developer first sort of mindset to connect to any mobile initiative. I love that. I want to reiterate those. So simple to understand. I'm put my own little twist on this one. <laughs> developers want efficient process. Because I don't think you're lazy. I think that you just want to solve the problem as quick as yeah, possible. That's and true. then technology independence. I think that those, those three things are huge. And I really like how you pointed out that first one is maybe like the crux, the whole thing. It's you mentioned the documentation to it. So maybe we can even drill in that a little bit, kind of this 80-20 rule. What about making things simple to understand are you doing so that you can be implementing these APIs and making this 10% of those exponentially grow. Yeah. 
You know, there's a lot of documentation that even today, I think this may surprise perhaps those that are part of smaller, you know, medium-sized businesses, but may not surprise large enterprise folks out there is that people still, for whatever reason, roll out, you know, 80 page documents of like, this is how the code works, right? And this is what you do in this situation. And they don't make it dynamic, right? There's so many great tools that you can build into your products. There's a couple that that everybody knows about like Swagger and Apiary, but like there's so many good tools out there that will enable you to kind of show how things change dynamically when you enter code in. I think it's creating a user experience instead of just focusing on UI, right? So once you clear that battle of not just having these huge PDF files that you deliver to customers, which they then provide pain to you, I think the next part of the battle is thinking about a user experience, not just clever UI techniques to just say like, here's a cool looking graph and this is what you do next, but actually walking them through like, okay, like why don't we just start by showing how our code works in 20 different lines of businesses. So whether you are a travel company, whether you are a uh, boutique, you know, flower company, right? So whether Mm -hmm. you're a uh, transportation company, like here is a use case for you and then here's how it would work. And you try and putting your code in and just seeing how it comes live. And I think that, again, this this sounds very basic, but if you can connect to one customer who's out there that has a industry-specific problem, I think they'll adopt your solution all the more. I love this. And you you mentioned a couple of tools that I, just, I want to make sure that we hit too so that we can have those easily downloadable in the show notes because I haven't heard of these before. You said Swagger and apiary yeah swagger and apiary so we'll definitely link to those in the show notes for everyone to check out on by bob's uh show notes page for everyone to to go and then i just want to reiterate some of these things so with this api live link 365 solution that you provide you've noticed that just with apis in general that most fail 90 percent fail and the 10 percent that don't fail have exponential growth or correlate to it and of those three things that that correlate to that, you know, making it simple to understand, creating an efficient process for developers, and then making it technology independent. And then of those three, the one thing to at least do is make it simple to understand with the documentation and thinking of the documentation, not just PDFs, boring, I guess, old, old way of doing things, but thinking about making that interactive and engaging in its own kind of experience so that it becomes easier to consume. Is there anything else you'd like to add to that? That's pretty much the right place to start, I feel, in terms of, of, of taking it for, to the next steps. And I think that also simplification and just thinking about things in a very set way before you start you know, building great applications without thinking about how to communicate at the end. I think that's another piece of like the world is moving more to this like microservice, like build this one piece at a time and deploy it. And like, you know, starting even maybe for the business owners out there, kind of convincing their developers to think about how and when you want to communicate is more important now than ever, you know, with the rise of things like chatbots and so forth. So I think that, you know, just having that kind of clear mindset of, of making it a priority, not a, a thing you do at the very end and then kind of scramble to find the right fit for you is another thing. So stepping out a little bit of the value of uh, LiveLink 365 and now focusing a little bit more on just that, that whole product in general and your role in, in improving that product, how could it be better? Like what could you do to make this better? That's a great question. I think that whole products can be definitely made better. And I think mm-hmm. it's an everlasting approach. I think if you think about like low touch models, one thing that is the future, I believe, is like self-generating code on on the you know portal, you know, having almost like a 
an ecosystem where people just ask, you know, like, hey, I need a code that does X, Y, and Z. And, and just like kind of starting that process of making everything more of a community. Because I think SAP does a great job of having all these enterprise stories that we try to bring to products because of, of just our sheer reach in terms of the, the hundreds of thousands of enterprise companies we work with. But I think that most, at least product owners and product managers that I know, when they go down this process, I think they're oftentimes kind of stuck at the design phase and thinking about, you know, from a design perspective, what should I do next? And I think that, you know, from a very tactical level, I think thinking of simple shapes and layouts to help expand the footprint. I think there's a study that 50 years ago, I think 97 of people prefer the orientation of a rectangle, which is known as a golden rectangle. Yet, for some reason, you know, people have all these oddly shaped figures on their websites. I think the second thing is build to a single user for a single problem at a single time. So I think that being inclusive in the design process. So one of the things that we're actually doing is having our customers basically say, here's the next channel that we want to add to this live link experience where we have SMS, email, push, and social. And, and you know, what's next, right? Like, and what's the next way that people want to communicate? I think personalization is something that I feel for any product is, is very important. I think it's, it's, but you have to be careful not to overdo it. Because for example, for People Connect, we wanted to engage consumers with this keyword. So for example, if the user responds back with help, they get their first name included in a special number for their region. But I think some people actually take this too far, right? You, you kind of get on this creepy factor of things. And I think that, you know, for example, there was a study done that showed that when news or updates are too personalized, you miss dissenting viewpoints and miss the holistic view. So I think that like more and more personalization, more and more customer centricity. And I think that one of the things is that like UI is oftentimes a distraction, but I think that if you can do it in a way where it extends the, the what if scenarios and what the user is actually trying to do, you can kind of avoid this pitfall of design fads. So we try to actually keep user experience always in mind and less on UI. But I think those are some kind of next steps for us. And I think as we get more and more into, for example, like, you know, this IoT initiative that, that I talked about earlier, I think if you think about sensors, there's been a lot of discussions on where the intelligence sits on the, the you know, on the edge or in the center. But I think that like, you know, having a way that you could just deploy a sensor and then connect to it in minutes and be able to tell if like this crate was moved to this certain location and it's still at the right temperature. Like if you're, if you're a wine drinker, this is something you'd really appreciate to know that everything was great from the get-go. But being able to control sensors from a programmatic interface, I think that's, that's the next step for us as well. So you, you mentioned a couple of different things that can improve this product. Have you been able to quantify which one you think will make the biggest impact for your customer, for your business, and, and how big of an impact that will be? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I think that it goes back to, I think, this conversation topic that we had earlier. I think that, you know, a lot of people, when they build platforms to do conversation and, and communication, they, they kind of have a platform and pray approach, right? Just build out the platform and like pray that people join. And so I think, you know, having a, a much more tactical, like having our customers help us on our journey is the right way to, to look at things. When you think about you know, going back to the conversation topic, it takes roughly four to five clicks to order a pizza just in general, right? If you're on a chatbot or an app. Mm -hmm. But if you want to make a firmware update to solar panel, right? It may take 20 or 30 steps because man, like you really want to be sure there might be this blockchain element and like there's just a lot of stuff there. And I think it's almost the analysis of in chess of having a master level, you know, four to five steps versus a, you know, a grandmaster who can do 20 to 30. And I think it's, it's providing that kind of rich contextual minimizing the number of clicks and like really focusing on, you know, building out like for the sensor example, like here's exactly how you do it in, in a way that 
is contextual, but also just decreasing that steps from, from 30 to like 10. So what do you think is at stake if not making these changes? For most enterprises that I talk to, and I, I talk to probably a couple customers every week, you know, at, at the very minimum, they're just lost with all this technology kind of, you know, IoT is just something that you read about at every turn. And do we use low power? Do we use high power? Like there's just so much challenges just from, from approaching it from various dimensions. I think that the worst thing that can happen is enterprises just stall their initiatives. And I think I've, I've begun to see more and more of that where just because of um, this failure to, for example, like involve their developers or involve the development community more, that they've actually lost a significant portion of their of their new initiatives. New initiative just kind of died because as a standalone, they built this API strategy out. They didn't think about you know, how to make it programmatic. And it's oftentimes the same reason that the same 30 company or the same Dow Jones uh, 30 companies existed 30 years ago, may, with the exception of one or two are still alive today, right? That like it, to innovate, you need to start adopting these these new communities that use your services and products and you have to start giving them the right tools. I kind of want to piggyback on that answer. You know, you mentioned personalization, customer centricity, and improving programmatic sensing in that example. So these are, these are things to improve the LiveLink 365. So how come these aren't already implemented for you guys and what's holding you back to make these changes? There is always going to be multiple customer bases that are looking for different things that they may see business as what it is today, right? The reason to, to not do it in, in a new initiative is because of the, the needs of the core. And I think a lot of business folks on it have that same challenge is do you kind of invest in this new avenue or do you invest in this, you know, continue to invest in your core? So I think the best is to, to keep a disciplined approach to, to, you know, setting aside and, you know, as a head of product management, I think we always have one or two products in incubation and two or three that we're like actively trying to, to push through commercialization. And, and just keeping the core continuing to go. So I think that like, you know, kind of keeping your portfolio balanced is, is one of the major, I think, product management disciplines that, that should be there for any, you know, product owners or, or product line owners. What criteria do you use to balance it? <laughs> yeah, so that's a good question. So I, you know, like, do you continue to bootstrap and say like, hey, like this, this initiative is catching fire and now we can leave incubation and now move to more center of the business? I think you, you have to look at, in the end, the customer adoption, but also how it's enabling you to get adjacencies. So like it is something that most enterprise companies try to do is, is actually, you know, when they know that they haven't innovated in an area um, and they know that their solution is missing that kind of killer feature or killer capability, they'll invest in it. And then what they'll find is that like from the, the sum of the parts, you can actually create a more attractive offering to your customer. And, and if you think about what's happening in the world today, you know, line of businesses are getting so much more power to make decisions. So like instead of having like the CXO say like, hey, I want to buy that, it's more of a line of business that's saying, hey, I need this at this time. And therefore the deal sizes are smaller. The switching costs are, are lower. They'll, they'll just go with a competitor because they don't have as much loyalty. And then the, the solution size is actually smaller. So this enables you to then have an approach of saying, I'm going to do this one tiny sliver, see what happens when I sell it to a line of business and then get the feedback and say, you know, let me change something very quickly until you buy it. So I think that the shifts are already occurring in the, the, the buying space that like, hey, you don't have to go through these rigorous, you know, buying cycles. It's more of a, I, I'm going to address this line of business. And, you know, I think that most enterprises, when they think of innovation, they just think of it as an all or nothing CXO play. And I encourage more and more to just, you know, kind of spin off small pieces and see what happens. 
Well, I think that the progress you're making with these two services is awesome. And the way that you're going about it and the impact that they can make. So I'm definitely going to make sure to link to these in your show notes page. Again, that's People Connect 365 and LiveLink 365. And then I'm excited to dig into some of these resources as well that you use your day-to-day by Bob. And so from this transitioning to what's happening this coming Friday, so our rapid fire Friday round where you'll be uh, sharing some of your most valuable resources. Yeah, I really enjoyed the talk as well. And we dug into some really great insights. I think there are some great tangible takeaways, provided a couple great third-party tools, which is awesome. We dug in deeper to two of the services SAP is offering that you're working on that are they're really impactful. I know we really appreciated understanding your perspective in the process and those takeaways with how to make an exponential growing API. So I think there's some just great content here. So we really appreciate the transparency and uh, taking your time. It was a pleasure to have you on today. Sounds great. Thanks, Jordan. Hey, thank you for listening. For additional resources on how to increase sales and performance with your mobile experiences, head over to www.emergemobilefirst.com and select the Get Free Resources button there at the top and gain instant exclusive access to tools and resources from all of our guests aggregated into one single place just for you. Now, I'm looking forward to digging in with my next guest, but until next time, think mobile first.